in order to communicate what we want, we first have to know what we want. And so that's really expanding our vocabulary of how are we feeling and what are we needing in every single moment? Because we are, we are always feeling something and we're always needing something. So, or we're feeling something because a need's been met, but either way, there's always that sort of alchemy of those two things is always happening. I really can't think of anything more important than waking up to your true self. I mean, once you do that, every single thing in your life changes. It's like a whole new world opens up. I used to look at my life and think, there has got to be more. There is, and this is it. I'm Paige, and this is Spiritual Twenties. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 39 of Spiritual 20s. My name is Paige, and in today's episode, we have relationship coach Danielle Robin. Danielle and I covered a whole lot of things, but we kind of centered our topic around the attachment styles, which is Danielle's specialty. She talked about what traditionally we're talking about when we talk about attachment styles, like you might have heard the words anxious or avoidant. She gives us a new way to look at them, and the conversation just really went from there. I asked questions on things that I see affecting me and my personal life with my relationships, both romantic and non-romantic, because... Of course, relationships is such a huge topic because we are all in relationship with everybody that we know. So, so often we get stuck on thinking about romantic relationships, but really the strategies and the problems and the obstacles that we run into that Danielle and I talk about in this episode are things that we can run into across the board, whether it's with our family, our friends, and of course, our romantic partners. A bit more about Danielle. Danielle Robin is a relationship coach who specializes in long-term love and healing anxious attachment. Using a mind-body approach with roots in both Tantra and psychology, Danielle empowers partners to unblock their barriers to love and creates a safe space to explore unparalleled intimacy and deep sexual connection that lasts a lifetime. Her signature course, Work the Waves, is the only online coaching program for healing anxious attachment wounds. I learned so much from this conversation, and I know that you guys will too, so without further ado, here is my conversation with relationship coach Danielle Robin. Hi, Danielle. Hi, it's so nice to be here. Thank you so much. We're so excited to have you. And as I was just sharing with you, I'm really, really excited for this conversation. Relationships and conscious relationships and attachment styles are all things that I honestly don't, I'm not super well versed on. So I'm excited to be a bit of a student today and just really have this kind of open conversation. But I'd love for you to first uh, tell us how you came into doing the work that you do, and just a bit more about yourself, who you are. Yeah, beautiful. So my name is Danielle Robin, and I'm a conscious relationship coach. And I started my journey to becoming a coach actually in the traditional therapy world and space and track um, with a master's in marriage and family therapy, um, but was feeling called to coaching. So I pursued a coaching certification as well, Um, just really like the style and, you know, all of the exciting sort of things that you can do as a coach, creating programs, writing books, doing all these incredible things. And that felt more like me. So I pursued that direction and I started off coaching couples and individuals on all matters related to relationships and really building conscious, what I call sustainable long-term partnerships. And we'll get more into what that means. But along the way, as I was building my career, I was suffering from a lot of anxiety in my own relationship and to the point where it was crippling. I couldn't work. I couldn't function. I couldn't socialize at different points. And it was really getting in the way of me building my career, uh, building myself, taking off in life. And so I decided to really dial down on 
healing and mastering this relationship anxiety. And it was a process that took me a couple of years, but in doing so, um, I found my absolute passion in life, which is helping other people do the same. So I have now dedicated um, a huge chunk of my business to helping people with um, relationship anxiety or anxious anxious attachment, um, as you'll hear it referred to in more mainstream media. Oh, yes, I love that. Thank you. And I have things already coming to mind. One thing I didn't realize about your background coming from traditional therapy, and one thing that I love in talking about relationships and these kinds of more as we'll get into attachment styles and where these things come from is I love these kinds of conversations because the traditional therapy, not to bastardize it at all, of course, you know, it's something that's helped me personally and it's, it's really important. However, so often in our society, we get into these, you know, we go to, to a therapist or somebody and we explain that we're experiencing this certain thing, or perhaps we do this to ourselves, we diagnose ourselves, and that's just what we get, a diagnosis. And then we feel like, you know, just, okay, well, I, the problem that I have with diagnoses is that then it just makes us feel like, well, that's just it, like, that's just what I have. And I know that's something we'll get into where, you know, attachment styles, it's not a life sentence, it's not a diagnosis. And that's why I love, I'm excited to get into this conversation, because it's something that we can actually find out why we do these things and then work with them and realize that actually everybody has this. And it's not that there's something wrong with you. You don't need a pill to solve this problem where I think that I really see so many people in my life and in my circles who are really just, you know, feeling the shadow effects and responses of these things that we're going to get into but they're diagnosing themselves or getting diagnosed with a medical, you know, with a mental health condition that really they could be, they could heal through work with someone like yourself. So yeah, I just really want to, want to honor that. I'm so happy that especially I get really excited people coming from that background and blending that because I think that it's so important and it's sad to me how many people just wind up with a diagnosis and a pill when it's actually just something that we all experience and we can move through. Yeah. And Paige, you're totally touching on one of the most important, you know, aspects of starting to shift and move these patterns in ourselves, which is not putting ourselves in these boxes, which I think that some of these words, um, and this is actually like, I'll just go ahead. This is one of the first things that I teach people when I talk about attachment styles is to take yourself out of the box and stop calling yourself anxious or stop calling yourself avoidant. These words are pretty harsh and they sound quite fixed, right? It's like this label that you slap onto yourself and then you walk around in this self-fulfilling prophecy. So everything that happens, you're like, well, I'm avoidant or I'm anxious. So it plays into that story about yourself. When really, I think that uh, no, taking away those labels is the first is the first step to starting to really change that. So the language that I recommend that people shift to and use instead is actually from um, a incredible psychologist and writer named Stan Tatkin, who wrote a book called Wired for Love that I recommend everybody read. If you've read Attached, this is a great next one to read, but he talks about um, referring to these styles instead of calling people secure, he calls them anchors. Instead of avoidant, it's island. And instead of anxious, it's wave. So I have really taken to that language and used it throughout my work, uh, my program, which we'll talk about later. But, you know, if there's one thing you take away from this today, you know, if you can start referring to yourself and your partner and the people around you using that language instead of anxious avoidant, you'll be doing yourself a really big favor. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for that. And I've never heard those terms, but I love them. And I think that especially for people who are starting to get into the, the personal growth, spiritual growth, you know, self-betterment path, whatever it may be, I think that we are almost at more risk of using words like these, right? Because when we come, we become aware of these terms and this knowledge, which is so beautiful, but then I think that there's a trap there of saying like, okay, well now I can identify it, right? Because I have this no awareness. And then it's just like, we, we stick with it. Okay, well, I'm noticing that my partner or I is having this anxious behavior. So, and that's it. 
I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. That awareness can have a dark side to it for sure. So it is important to stay flexible and also kind with what we are calling ourselves. Like the kindness is really important here too. Mm, I love that. So why don't we, um, before we get too off track, why don't you set us up and please just um, give us the overview of what are the attachment styles? What are we talking about? And also, I think that I'm not sure that I know the answer to this question. You know, is it that there's a benign side to each and not? Or have yeah. I also worked at so it? I'll run you through a little bit of like the, what I call sort of like what we already know and what is sort of spoken about in more traditional attachment theory, which by the way, I mean, you can already tell from my voice that the way that I think about it is slightly different from this. So, um, you know, this is sort of where people usually come to me starting off with this knowledge. And if you've read the book attached, that's a great place to start. Um, that's sort of the number one book that outlines these different attachment styles and really brought this conversation to the dinner table. So basically what attachment theory tells us is that there's a direct correlation between the way that you were parented, the way that your parents treated you. And by parents, I mean, parental figures, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be a parent, a primary caregiver. Um, There's a direct correlation between that and the way that we relate to love now as adults. And there are subtypes of these, but the three main types of attachment styles are the secure, the avoidant, and the anxious. And so there's, you know, I can go into a little bit about, you know, what parenting styles correlate to those. I think that usually for avoidant people, it's that um, parents were distant, removed, unreliable, um, and that that leads to somebody who downplays the importance of relationships, is usually extremely self-reliant, so very, very independent, um, can often react with like coldness, defensiveness, and hide their feelings when when things get hard for them. Um, So that's just like a brief, brief summary, but you might sort of relate to being avoidant if you hear me say that. Um, and then for the secure, it's just that, you know, the parent is meets needs is reliable. Um, and then that, that individual would end up, you know, knowing how to voice their needs and get them met, um, trusting fairly easily, not having a lot of trust issues, and then probably less reactive in arguments. So able to bounce back more quickly. Mm-hmm. And then finally we have the anxious individual and what, Attachment theory says is that parents are sort of disorganized, sometimes they're sometimes not in and out of their life. Um, And that what this causes is somebody who overemphasizes the importance of relationship is maybe trying to hold on to relationships and very fearful of losing them, Mm -hmm. more sensitive, more reactionary when things are challenging um, and doesn't always speak up for their needs. So withholds that information, just sort of clams up when it's time to, to speak about what we need. Right. So that's sort of a very, very basic overview of the three different types. And there's also this real, um, this like kind of the idea of being secure is kind of put on a pedestal. Like we all really want to strive for that. And, you know, we should be potentially looking for secure partners is kind of this, um, this golden ticket that gets spoken about a lot. And do you, do you see that as true? So I don't really believe in this secure concept at all. And I know that that's really, um, I know that's a bit controversial, but here's what I believe. I believe that we all have secure moments and that the goal is to have more and more secure moments, but that when pushed, when triggered, everybody will lean either to the island side of the spectrum or the wave side of the spectrum. Like you have a trigger pattern and it's going to be one of those or a combination of both. But I've never met anybody who is secure all the time in every single situation. I I completely agree. And I was kind of sensing that. That's why I asked. It's yeah, that really rings true for me. I was having a conversation yesterday that was similar that we were saying, like, it's not, I don't know anybody who has made it through childhood with nothing, you know, and they're just absolutely perfect all the time. And I I agree that I think that everybody would swing one way or another. And I'd love to ask, and I love, thank you again for steering us away from 
clinging to those titles and those labels, but just I'm going to say it because I um, it's it's the phrase that I've heard and it's something that's been resonating with me, especially lately, is what about those of us that find ourselves, and I think, again, I, I would probably bet that this is everybody at some time or another, but in this anxious avoidant dance. And so I know I've been noticing lately in myself swinging a lot between, so you know, certain things trigger me this way and I want to step back and just, you know, get cold and go do my own thing and go into independent, I got me mode, and which, you know, in the unhealthy way, in the shadow mm-hmm. way, not mm-hmm. in the healthy way of like, I am whole and independent. And, and then, you know, also clinging to, I'm just going to try to make it better. Whatever it is, my partner's mad at me. Like, I'm just going to fix it. I'm just going to try to like sit here and look pretty and make it better. And so what about, what about that dance and dancing between them? A lot of the same. So a lot of people experience that dance. It's very common. A lot of the same healing principles apply to either end. So what I'm really talking about here is that in doing a lot of those things, running away on one hand and like fawning on the other hand, what we aren't doing is meeting our needs internally. We're sort of either running away from grounding and self-soothing the part of us that's screaming out in pain or relying on another person to do that for us, which is the more, the wave sort of, um, the plight of the wave, right? Mm -hmm. So in every single person, that skill of self-soothing inner child work, meeting your inner child with presence, um, being able to calm and soothe your inner child and essentially parent your inner child because of those unmet needs from childhood, which by the way, it's not that it was your parents' fault. We all have them. Um, That is probably the number one first step in working with any of this is to be able to ground and self-soothe and reduce the trigger, no matter which direction the trigger is going in. It might be the runaway trigger and it might be the abandonment. I'm so afraid I'm going to lose you. I have to hold on tighter trigger, Mm. but both of them, you know, the nervous system needs to be calmed and grounded and soothed. And what you essentially need to be able to remind yourself is that you're safe. It is safe to be where you are. You don't need to run away in order to feel safe. You can stay here. You can use other tools. You can use communication. You can use expression of feelings and needs. You can use cathartic emotional release, right? There are a lot of other tools that we can use. Yeah. And so what do you, what do you recommend then for people just starting to come to terms with, okay, I'm, I can recognize I'm now, I now have the awareness and I can see these behaviors in myself. I can see these patterns in myself. What do I do with that? And how do we move more towards And this is, and for single people and people in relationships too, or, you know, people who are in the dating sphere, I feel like it's really super relevant, if not maybe more relevant for single people than, yeah, how do, what do we do? How do we start? I mean, you touched on something that I do just want to like share with everyone very quickly, which is that there is no bad time to work on this, whether you are in a relationship, you're dating or you're in between. Um, it's a fantastic time to, to work on this. And where do you start? It's a great question. That's actually been a problem for a lot of people. Um, it's not knowing what to do with this. Right. So I see people trying a lot of different things and, it's, it's a challenging thing to really get to the root of. So I guess where I would start is to read about it. That's, you know, that will help you get more information and create more awareness, but it's definitely not the whole story. Um, seeing if there are self-soothing and grounding practices that you have in your toolbox, that you have in your toolkit already that can help bring you back to yourself, but really seeking support whether it's community support, a group of people who experience the same thing and can hold space for you as you're, you know, as these things are coming up, but also support by someone who can, you know, help you get to the root of what's underneath that voice that says, I need to run away or that says, I need to people please, right? It's healing a much deeper core wound. And only then will you stop feeling like you need to run away stop feeling like you need to people please. Yeah. And so what about in the moment of a trigger? I love that you're 
you know, that how we can self-soothe and an area where this comes up for me, right, is that I have always before been like, if something's coming up, I want to communicate about on it and I want to deal with it right now. And so sitting with it is really hard for me. Like if I have a partner who is like, I need space, that that's really hard for me because I just want to deal with it right now. Right. And, and so as you're speaking, I'm thinking that that sounds a lot to me, like you might be recommending that when people are triggered and pe- and the emotions are rising high, like take a beat, which makes sense to me. But then again, I know that in the moment, that's so hard for me to do because I don't, I don't want to sit with it, especially if I'm feeling like, Oh, we could just talk about this and deal with it now. First of all, I cannot imagine how many people out there listening to this can relate to what you just said. Yeah. That is so common for a, for a relationship to be comprised of two people, one of whom likes to deal with things in the moment and the other one likes to take space and not. Yeah. Now, what I want to just offer everybody out there, and I think this is also an important part of the healing work, is the relearning that there is no one right way of doing things and that your partner's or potential partner or past partner's way just comes from their own wounding patterns and safety-making mechanisms that they've created just like yours does. So the whole, I want to figure this out in the moment, that's you finding safety for yourself. That is, that's safety. That's your body's definition of safety. And their reaction, I need to go in a room and close the door and not talk to you, (laughs) is their way of finding safety. Both are equally valid and both come from an equally valid place. So it's a lot about just understanding where these triggers come from, again, most of them are helping us feel safe, that helps you find compassion for other people and theirs. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I would recommend if that's feeling challenging, and I say this about pretty much every tool that I teach, is to practice in low and non-triggering environments. And what Mm -hmm. that means is don't wait for a big wave, a big wave, when I say big wave, I mean a big thing of anxiety, Mm -hmm. to hit to try a new tool or try to be super evolved or try to be super advanced in your processing. No, practice it where there aren't any waves. When you don't feel anxious, practice taking space where, you know, you don't feel triggered or where you feel just a tiny bit triggered and then start to work up. Your body will know what to do if you can teach it. that way. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. And, and I can see that being hugely helpful just as a, as a practice in general. I just had a question. So when it comes to meeting our own needs versus our partner meeting our needs, I fully believe and big reason why I'm here and what I do is inspiring and helping and guiding people to realize that they're whole within themselves. So that is a given, right? Being our own sovereign being, meeting our own emotional needs and not looking you know, that I'm some half and I'm looking for my other perfect half. You know, mm-hmm. we're whole beings and we want to, you know, partner with other whole beings. So of course that's not, uh, so that's a given, right? And then though, when we're finding our partners, especially, you know, if we're someone who's looking to be married and have this sacred union for life, There's also, right, that we have our list of things that we want in our partner. And so I just would love to know your initial, like, kind of thoughts and riffs on how do we reconcile needing, you know, our list of things that we need, how we need our partner to meet us, and then meeting them for ourselves. Because I think that there is, just to be a bit more specific, I think that there is a time and space where being finding and meeting our own needs could become confusing in that if somebody else isn't showing up for you, then that's not okay either. And they're just not showing up for you. But how do we, because then someone might say in their heads, oh, well, I'll just meet it for myself then Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I'm supposed to be this whole sovereign being, right? So how do we, what's, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. It's, it's really like, one of the top questions and one of the top challenging things to unpack. And I think that what's important to 
understand for waves for women with relationship anxiety is that for so many of them, they have gone so far to the other end of the spectrum of really needing so much from their partner and not knowing how to find it in themselves. So when I work with waves, it's really helping to undo that and helping to show them that needs can be met in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. And there's a big difference between a need and a strategy. And this comes from nonviolent communication, which is something that I teach in, in my course. So I'll do my best to summarize it in just a moment here. But a strategy is something like, I need you to tell me that you love me. The need that's underneath that is I need affection or I need love. But that need, which is the deeper, more universal need, which many of us are not getting to when we talk about needs, we're, we're talking about strategies. Like I need you to do this specific thing in this specific way. That underlying need can be met in so many different ways. Mm. Love can be met in so many different ways. Affection can be met in so many different ways. And so I think a huge piece of work for so many of us is starting to let go of those strategies that we think are needs and focusing on the more universal needs and seeing if our partner can meet those, right? Partner may not be able to meet in every single moment. Hey, I need you to give me a back massage, but the partner might be able to meet physical touch. Right. So expanding our definition of needs and how to meet them, I think is a huge, a huge part of this. And then knowing that, you know, with a partner, it's, it gets sticky. And this is another concept for nonviolent communication. When we get too far into making demands, not requests with our needs, mm -hmm. and this is a really, really interesting distinction. So, so many of us make requests. I'm asking the person to meet my needs, but they're not requests, they're demands. And the difference is that in a demand, you're not okay if the person says no. Mm. You're bracing yourself because if the person says no, all hell is going to break loose. That's a demand. It's not a request. Oh man, I love that. I want to like, can you just like say that again before you go on? Because I need <laughs> that one to land. Totally. So a demand is when you ask for something, with the expectation that the other person is gonna meet it for you and the built up feelings of resentment, anger, frustration, if they don't. Yeah. So we need to be making requests, not demands in relationships, but, and if a person can repeatedly not meet our requests, that's something we should notice as well, right? Yeah. But island partners, because I, speak mostly to women who are waves and most of them pair with islands. Island partners don't respond well to demands at all. They really shut down and they can hear it. Like someone can hear it in your voice when there's an expectation versus you're just making a request and you'll be totally fine no matter what the answer is. Mm. So that's part of the retraining too, is when we're working to really untangle the deep wounding triggering pattern that can happen between that type of a couple, which so many people get into, by the way, and it usually starts to show up like right after the honeymoon phase is over. Right. It's like explosion of this like wave island dynamic that you might or might not have known was there. Right. We really need to focus on making requests and being self-sufficient in that moment to help the island feel comfortable meeting requests and knowing that they're not just being asked. They're not being demanded of right. all the time. That's very healing for them. Yeah, that's huge. And I can thank you for saying it and thank you for repeating it too, because I really think that that I'm, it hit me as like a, Oh, but, Oh boy, I feel attacked. Like I definitely see myself posing something that I think I'm presenting in a conscious way, right? Like I've read the books, I know the things, but in my body and in my energy, I'm fully expecting a response and wanting a response and clinging to that outcome. And so even if I can say it in the most measured tone possible, that's coming from my energy and, and people feel that for sure. Exactly. Exactly. You nailed it. People can feel it and you can feel it. Yeah. Oh man. So what, again, kind of, what do we do with this? What do we, you know, how do we find our way back to center? What are the practices? Like, what is the, again, when we're playing with these things and we're recognizing them happening in the moment. And even just now, you know, when they're not happening, like, I love how you said, not waiting for the moment of the uproar or the storm and just 
right now, okay, like everything's fine. It's Friday morning. I got my coffee. What can I start to be thinking about in myself? Like, so with that example, right, that I am expecting things mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. my from my partner. So even for people, even for individuals who have a ton of awareness and you know are on a conscious path, there's still always work to be done in knowing your own feelings and needs. And I think that that would be my response to your question is doing some deep work around knowing and understanding your own individual feelings and needs. And this is also a core principle of nonviolent communication, by the way, my third book recommendation on this, on this episode is nonviolent communication. It's probably my favorite book. It's, it will change everything that you know about the way that you use and receive words. So I highly recommend it, but in order to communicate what we want, we first have to know what we want. And so that's really expanding our vocabulary of how are we feeling and what are we needing in every single moment? Because we are, we are always feeling something and we're always needing something. So, or we're feeling something because a need's been met, but either way, there's always that sort of alchemy of those two things is always happening. So this is an incredible process because so many of us, the reason our communication comes out blah, or we make these demands is because we haven't done the work to know what we feel and what we need. And, you know, that's another thing that I work on extensively with the women that I work with who feel this way, but even, you know, reading that book, understanding feelings and needs and starting to journal your feelings and needs every day so that you know, what's going on with you. Put your mask on first, you know, put your seatbelt on first, all of that. Help yourself first, understand yourself a lot better. And and there's a lot more that I think we could all be doing to know our feelings and needs so that we don't, um, we don't misrepresent them. Yeah, definitely. And I can, I was just the other day, just remembering, it might've been yesterday, the day before yesterday, journaling. What came up was a question that I ask clients and people all the time is, how are you really? Like, really? And that came up again, right? Like I'm a teacher of this stuff. I coach people in this, but what came through for me was I hadn't asked myself that in a while. Mm. How am I really? And it's not, how are you good? You know, the, the like rhetorical question of how are you like, actually, how am I feeling actually? And then what usually follows that is what do I need? Mm-hmm. And I, I love, I love that. I think that I totally agree that that is 100% the best place for people to start in every moment of every day, you know, as much as you can asking yourself and really what I noticed yesterday and today in my journaling was that at the, I think maybe some of these, and again, sorry about the labels, but in the context of this conversation, mm-hmm. maybe some of my more avoidant tendencies, mm-hmm. I, I do have the ability to not really look at something, you know what I mean? To, to, have a situation in my life that I feel like I'm addressing on the surface level, but I'm not really letting myself ask the question because I'm afraid of the response, right? Like if I were to actually look at this relationship, I might see that it's not the best, right? Or whatever it may be. And so I I have this come up and, and that's why I think that yeah, the best thing that we can do is say, how, how am I really? Like, actually, how do I feel? Am I really happy and excited about where I'm at right now or not? And that fear that you're talking about, that fear of really answering that question truthfully, it's classic resistance, right? It's classic, the body not wanting to face what's on the other side of, of, of growth. And that's actually the reason so many people are not working on these patterns in themselves is because of resistance. They don't want to know what's on the other side, because when you do actually face the island or the wave, deep rooted patterns and tendencies and core wounding that's, that's, you know, in all of us, then you're looking at actually making a change. Yeah. And that's really scary for a lot of people. Right. And it's hard always. It's hard. Yeah. Can you tell us why we do this? Like, what is the rainbow on the other side? You know, what, what is the benefits of a conscious relationship? Because just piggybacking off of that, I think that an area where some of us in the space might miss out is it is hard and it is challenging. And so I think that most people 
are like, well, why would I do it then? You know, like we're talking about the work and we're like, yes, the work, it's so great. But like, why? Why is it so great? Like, what is the outcome? What is a conscious relationship? What is that feeling of wholeness? Why do we do this? Why? Why? When I think about the other way, and by the other way, I mean saying yes to a life that's pretty stagnant and not choosing a growth pattern path and, um, and, you know, being okay the way that things are and not really wanting things to change and not wanting to look at them. I can already start to feel how much resentment and unspoken desire and words and expression there would be in my body. Even living a week like that, I would feel so much pent up energy that would just start to build on top of each other and become this sort of like rusty muck inside of me. And with that, I would never be able to produce what I produce, to create what I create, to live a thriving life, to feel healthy in my body. Like, I think it's all related. And I think that what's so important about choosing this path is the opportunity to clear and move through all that stuff that comes up and never keep any of it to keep releasing what's not yours and to do it in partnership is, you know, an incredible gift because then you have someone else, if you're in a conscious partnership where you both have this goal, then you have someone else holding up the mirror to you the whole time, pushing you to go even further. Mm -hmm. And that just can really accelerate the process and, and be even more triggering and challenging, but also beautiful. Yeah. Right. Because we know I'm not speaking for anybody else, but I know so many people who are in shitty relationships, honestly. I was trying to think of a better way to say it, but like, let's just call it what it is. Horrendous, horrendous relationships that are toxic. They don't, they're not happy with each other, but they feel the need to stay. Or, you know, that's an extreme side of the spectrum. But there's also people that I know that are in relationships that are just like, like, whatever, like we're just here and we're just hanging out. And, you know, we can't put that drive in people. But I'm wondering if we can help to raise the awareness of, and again, that's like part of why I do what I do is that, hey, look at this, there is this other way to be. And so I guess my question is, do you think that it's that, where does that come from? Mm. What is it that they're afraid of or avoiding? Or what is it that makes people want to stay in that stagnant life? Right. And, And that's, it's so interesting. It's such a good question. What that resistance is doing is it's our body's way of keeping us safe from transformation and growth because of the unknown that's on the other side of it. And I think that for anyone who's had an inkling that there's something out there for them in this path, there's also a deep fear because I think that the body knows, like there's a deep inner knowing that once you go there, you can never go back. Mm -hmm. Like there's no, there's no seeing it and then unseeing it. And that's, also scary. And I, I get that. And that's why, you know, I think it's so important that there are, you know, programs and opportunities and platforms for people to dip their toes in and to see what that's like. I run a private um, Facebook group for women who have relationship anxiety. It's called the wave collective. And I maintain a super conscious space because I want people to see what that's like. And there are a lot of groups out there for people with anxious attachment where they're just bashing their partners and Mm -hmm. trying to get band-aid advice from people. And it's really, and calling, calling themselves anxious Um, and all those things. And it's just rampant, but I'm creating a really different space because I want people to come in and see that there's a different way of approaching this. I love that. And I'm definitely going to, um, of course, we'll have all your stuff in the show notes, but it's called the wave collective. Yeah. I love that because I I've I'm in groups that I see that and that are masquerading as conscious groups. Right. And it's really upsetting. And even lately I'm finding myself triggered in, and again, that word triggered is a bit much too, but I'm finding myself kind of uncomfortable amidst friends doing that kind of bashing and it's not helpful. And I think there's a difference between venting and sharing too, because that's another thing that I do think that it is helpful to speak things. And I notice that a lot for myself that I store things in my body. I always have like, you know, that's been probably my, my way of pushing things down. They end up in my body and show up as chronic pain. And so what I notice is that I've always been somebody who just is able to, to work through it. So, and especially now lately, it's like, I can address it 
and you know journal about it and then it's like fine I move on but for me obviously I have a podcast right like I'm a speaker Mm -hmm. I need to speak things and I need it to flow out of my body with my words and so it is helpful for me to have somebody like you or somebody a friend who's also doing the work that understands that I can call and share this is a really hard thing that I'm struggling with and I was really disappointed by xyz or whatever thing. And that's really different. I think that's important. And it's really different from bashing. It's really different from saying my partner or this person from hinge or whatever did this and like, fuck him or fuck her. And what can we, you know, like this kind of language. And it's like, or in the more conscious spaces, and I'm saying that with air quotes, like he's just showing up in all of his avoidant tendencies and you know, yeah. bashing in that way, but using the conscious language, which I think is almost more dangerous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're totally right. And there's also a lot of seeking of what I'd call band-aid advice. Um, I see a lot of people with actually, this is a very specific one, you know, so-and-so hasn't texted me in four hours. What should I do? Well, that me telling you what you should do or anybody telling you what should you should do is not going to help your healing around this. Mm. What's really important is you being able to feel inside into your internal compass and use that to know what you should do, right? To understand how does this make me feel? Why, why am I so triggered? What's my next move? That's healing, not getting advice from a lot of people about a specific situation. So, you know, trying to also, if you're out there and you're looking for solutions, just trying to make sure that you're staying away from environments where where that's sort of the main conversation. Yeah, for sure. I think that band-aiding is huge and every area of life. Again, I was saying before we jumped on that a reason I love relationships and in this discussion is because it's so applicable to every area of our lives, right? Like when we say, how do we look at what we need in relationships? It's the same for life. You know, every area of our lives, we can do these same practices. And yeah, so thank you. I I agree completely. I think that the reason why we do this is because there is a higher quality of life. It's just like, you will be happier. And I think that, yeah, just, just beginning by looking in is, is probably the best place to start. Absolutely. Can you tell us about your program, Work the Waves? And I'd love for you to just, yeah, like I want to hear really more about to who this is for. Like, I'd love for you to start by describing that, that wave woman. Totally. Well, I will start by like letting you know how the program was created because I was the wave woman. Right. I was a couple of years ago, um, so anxious in my relationship that I, it was crippling. Like I basically spent a month or two kind of in my apartment, unable to work, like often unable to get off the floor, often unable to get out of my bed. I was eating a diet of only cereal and fried rice. Like I remember it very, very well. And just relying so heavily on people, you know, who weren't necessarily available to hold space for me and actually like kind of lost a few friendships that way by, by pushing people way over their limits. And do you mind me? Sorry to interrupt no. you, asking what, like what at that time, and then maybe looking back now, if it's different, like, what was it that you were feeling anxious about? Like was yeah. it- my, my partner was really triggered in his island. Mm-hmm. I was pressuring him and asking again and again, we had been together for about two, two and a half years. And I thought it's time to tell me that you want to be with me forever. Right. And I had this in my mind and I was asking and asking and I was giving ultimatums and then he couldn't meet them because he wasn't ready to make that decision. Mm-hmm. And then I would freak out and go back in the relationship because I, I didn't want to leave the relationship either. I thought I needed to hear, I want to be with you forever when that so wasn't where we were at. It was me grasping onto safety. And so at this point, we were having a really challenging time because I was getting so sad and so triggered and he was fully in his runaway pattern. And we actually spent you know, a little bit of time living in separate places and coming together to work with a coach or a therapist and try to kind of work through this wounding pattern. But I was just so triggered about it. It was really hitting all of my abandonment stuff, all of my I'm not enough stuff, feeling unsafe at potentially losing this person and feeling like he represented safety in me. I wasn't as far along in my career then and didn't have, you know, 
that feeling of strength in myself as much. So all of that, but it really came from me. I mean, both of us, we both contributed to it, but I was very, very much wanting to hear that we were moving forward and wanting to see evidence of it. Mm -hmm. And a couple of years later, you know, we have a dog and we're buying a house and we are totally moving forward with all the things. And it's absolutely beautiful. And, you know, it all needed to unfold in its own time, which yeah. is something that many people told me, but, but uh, it's so hard. <laughs> so hard. So I started to start to use tools from my master's and for my coaching certification and for my own personal practice to figure out like what works on my relationship anxiety versus just what works for other things, you know, putting together sort of a, a list of all these tools that work. And from that, I built the program. It's a 10 week journey that basically helps you address pretty much every single facet of being a wave and gives you tools and techniques to deal with it. So this program is for people like me who are on their floor, unable to move. And it's for women who experience relationship anxiety to a much less crippling degree. So even if you're just like, hey, this is the thing that's kind of in my life um, and I want to work on it, but I don't know how, like this program is hundred percent for you. It's you if you're, if it's for you, if you're in a relationship, if you're not, if you're in between, if you're dating, I have women who are in all stages of relationship in my program. Um, but it's for anyone who's ever felt that relationship anxiety was something that they couldn't get control of. And that's most of us. I have a quiz out there, which helps you determine your relationship Mm, attachment style and over 65% of responses I get are waves Mm -hmm. from women. So it's definitely, um, you know, when I discovered how prevalent it was in women, I couldn't even believe it. Yeah. So the program is the solution to the problem of what do we do? And I felt badly because you kept asking that on this call. And I was like, the problem is there's not really a lot of great solutions out there that get right at this specific issue. There's traditional one-on-one therapy and one-on-one coaching. If you can find someone who really gets this, then that's great. Mm -hmm. Um, But all the other things people are doing, trying to piece it together themselves, you know, relying on the wrong communities, just reading books. It's not, it's not going to move the needle and not going to help you start to feel better. Yeah, no, it sounds, it sounds so beautiful. And I want to emphasize too, that I bet in my mind for people who are in that camp of this might, I'm resonating, I took the quiz and I'm resonating with it. Or I, I read Danielle's website or I'm following her on Instagram and this is resonating. This feels like me, but I'm not on my bathroom floor, where I come from and what I've experienced in other areas of my life is that when we don't address those things, you're just kind of like on the path to the bathroom floor. (laughs) (laughs) Like totally. I think that if you don't address it, it's going to show up as a rock bottom at some point. And so it's like, well, the perfect, like I'm almost more encouraging women listening who are not finding themselves on the bathroom floor quite yet but are noticing that all of these things that we've been talking about and that you share and teach on are behaviors and patterns that they're exhibiting, I would say even more like amazing than you can get at this now. So it doesn't become something that is crippling because why, you know, we always let and how you shared with things showing up in the body, right? Like that's another thing that I always talk about on the show that for people, again, for that point of awareness to come to is, A lot of times it shows up as like, you just always have a headache and we're taught that like, oh, that's normal. It's fine. Like everybody just has a headache because we're all just like killing ourselves, working too hard and staring at the screens all day, you know, and in all of these really unhealthy patterns. But again, when we look into these things, it's like, oh, my body is trying to tell me that something is amiss. And maybe the thing that's amiss is that I don't feel whole and I'm needing to seek external validation for my being. What you just said also about being preventative, I mean, I can't recommend that more. And the reason I stress the severity of my anxiety is just to let everyone out there know that I fully get it. I've fully been there myself. Um, 
but yeah, you know, it's important to, to deal with this because so many people think, oh, well, I'll just get out of this relationship in the next one. And I won't be this way. Oh, right. It's not about your relationship or your partner. It's about deep core wounding patterns that you will bring with you to the next relationship. And it might take a while for them to pop up again, but they will pop up again. So, you know, it's definitely something to work on if this resonates at all. Um, you know, a hundred percent worth the time and will completely change your life. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm so excited for people to, to check that out. And also the wave collective, your Facebook group. I'm really excited for people to check that out because yeah, I've, I've definitely, as you were speaking of it, I was having a memory of being in a Facebook group and seeing some posts and being like, Ooh, ick, <laughs> this is totally. not, this is not a healthy, this person is not getting healthy advice. And this, you know, it was, it was not, not going to be the healing that we're really looking for. And so I think that there are so many ways, like you said, to, to begin that process. But I do believe that something that's I've learned very late recently in my life is that we need to do that in community and in group. We do need people and support. And, you know, I think that I came from a place of, oh, it's fine. I got it. I don't need to run this by anybody. You know, I can do everything, doing everything by myself, but recently realizing how important tribe and support, especially by other women, which has been hard and new for me, right? Like, but being in a community like that sounds like such a, such a beneficial exploration for people. It's been beautiful to see what's unfolded among my waves in the program. Like I had two of them who went on vacation together because they were such good friends. And so many of them are still having phone calls with each other every week, long after the program ends. You know, it's really beautiful to normalize what's going on with you and connect with other people who are sharing, not just in your woes, but in the healing journey with you. Yes. Love that. Yeah. I want to punctuate that as our, as our signing off, because it's, it's not just about getting together to talk about how we're, you know, labeling ourselves as anxious or avoidant and labeling our partners as this and that, like you started this episode by saying it's let's focus on the healing. You know, so often we get stuck in focusing on the problem and then we stay in it because that's what we're focusing on. And instead you know, putting the emphasis on how we grow and how we move out of it instead of, oh, this is the, I've, I found this new diagnosis for myself. Yeah, absolutely. That's so, so well said. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Danielle. I really appreciate it. You are so welcome, Paige. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode of Spiritual 20s. My name is Paige and I am so grateful to play even the smallest role in your journey to living a more authentic, more aligned, more wild and free life. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and I'll see you next time.